From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Rich Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Bradley Clanton, attorney with Clanton Law Firm in Jackson. This morning, we'll talk with Attorney Clanton about data privacy and data security. What are the differences between the two? How can businesses make sure their data is secure? If you're an employee at a business, should you expect to have data privacy? You can give us a call with your questions and comments about data privacy or data security at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Bradley Clanton, who's joining us on the phone this morning. Attorney Clanton is with the Clanton Law Firm in Jackson. This morning, we'll speak with him about data privacy and data security. We'll talk about the differences between the two. How can businesses make sure their data is secure? If you're an employee at a business, should you should you expect to have data privacy at all? You can call us with any questions or comments you may have about privacy and security. The number is 877. 877- MPB ring 877-672-7464 or email legal terms at mpbonline.org. Good morning to you, Professor Gershon. How are you? Doing great, Sharita. And it's, it's great to have Brad Clanton on today. And one thing that uh, people I don't think realize about the lawyers we have on our show is he, he had a meeting at nine o'clock. Uh, he got called away to uh, fairly late yesterday. Uh, had planned to be in the studio, but he's calling in. He's still part of the show, and we appreciate him taking the time today. Uh, these lawyers give uh, an hour of their valuable time to be on the show. Absolutely. We do appreciate you being on today, Attorney Clinton. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to participate in the conversation. Well, before we jump into the conversation, we're going to talk about a couple topics uh, in the news that are kind of legally driven. Well, first of all, um, Professor Gershon, let's talk about uh, a few few days ago, uh, the big Syrian airstrike um, that was put in motion by President Trump. And, uh, you know, it had some people torn. Some people thought that it was a good move. And I read that it was kind of him sending a warning uh, to Assad about using chemical weapons against his people. But I don't think uh, Assad took responsibility for the original uh, bombing in Syria in the first place. But um, what, what do you have to say about this move by President Trump? I saw many say that this will kind of change his presidency moving forward. You know, Sri, it's hard to say. And presidents do have uh, the power. I mean, I'm, I'm going to focus on the legal side of this, really, which is can he do this? And, and, and in an emergency situation, the president does have the power to call up the armed forces as the, uh, the uh, commander in chief. So without without consulting Congress. That's correct. Now, one mm-hmm. thing that um, but there are limits to presidential power. And, you know, the best example would be the steel seizure case, uh, which happened in 1952. That was Youngstown's uh, sheet and two versus Sawyer. And Harry Truman seized the uh, the steel uh, industry, basically, to keep uh, the workers from going on strike and to essentially force 
the owners of the steel industry to keep the the uh, the steel mills open because uh, we were in the middle of uh, the Korean War, and he felt that was important for national security. And uh, a federal judge said, uh, you know, well, no, there are limits to presidential power. That really has to come from Congress, and you can't be seizing um, private property. Presidents in the past had seized private property, uh, including um, lots of presidents. Most recently had been Roosevelt during World War II, and everybody thought, well, that was probably a good idea during the time. And so uh, President Truman said, well, nobody has ever stopped the president from doing something like this before. And a federal judge said, well, just because they've allowed people to do something illegal in the past doesn't mean I'm going to allow it now. Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court agreed. So that was one of the first times the president's power was really limited uh, by the courts. And I do think our system works best when the president does have time to consult with Congress, has time to, you know, the courts have time to review whatever decisions are made. But sometimes there are emergency situations, and, and you know, whether we agree with the, uh, the actions taken or not, they are uh, within the power of the president. Yeah. Um, and something else that happened, um, uh, Neil Gorsuch was actually confirmed after the Republicans, um, did they do away with the nuclear option or they use the nuclear option? I can't remember which one it was. Well, they, they used it. And it really what, what that really means is now uh, it'll take a simple majority to stop debate. Uh, on uh, appointees to the Supreme Court. And uh, a lot of people think that that's, that's bad because you, you don't have to have buy-in from the other party in order to confirm a candidate of the Supreme Court. And when you think about the Supreme Court, you're talking about somebody who's appointed for life. Mm. And so it's good to have somebody that both parties can uh, buy into, ideally, because you want judges who can be fair and impartial. Uh, this kind of backs us away from fairness and impartiality uh, we've seen that a lot in Congress. There's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, much more uh, party loyalty and party politics than maybe we had in, in the older days where there was much more compromise. But we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. So later on down the line, um, with this new rule in place, uh, the Democrats could then do the same thing, you know, confirm somebody without having to consult the Republicans. It, that's correct. And, you know, especially if the Democrats had a majority. So. Again, you know, it's what I've said all the time. It's, you know, it's, you, you, it's the law of the harvest, right? You reap what you sow. And the golden rule, we don't, need, we don't need lawyers if people keep their promises. And if everybody followed the golden rule and the law of the harvest, we'd probably all be better off as well. Yeah. Um, and one last thing we're going to talk about that's uh, been in the news yesterday. Uh, the governor of Alabama actually resigned. There was a scandal um, that, that came about. And uh, we're going to play a little clip of that. But the time has come for me to look at new ways to serve the good people of our great state. I have decided it is time for me to step down as Alabama's governor. All right. Um, so uh, there was talk that he may be impeached. So I think he resigned before he was impeached. But could you talk a little bit about what, what led to this? I read that it was um, some charges brought against him, misdemeanor charges uh, having to do with uh, misuse of campaign finances and also kind of a, a sex scandal uh, in the midst as well. Well, I think the sex scandal is, is certainly part of it. That's that's kind of really more the more embarrassing part of it for the people of Alabama because that was pretty public. I, I think it's interesting that he was someone who was very much in favor of having the Ten Commandments placed everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe, you know, that thing about not coveting your neighbor's wife didn't apply to not coveting your employee's wife uh, for him. 
Uh, but not, that's the last I'll say of that. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think really more importantly, and what would have gotten him probably uh, impeached and removed from office was uh, the criminal charge for um, misuse of campaign financing. Uh, and so it's really more the criminal uh, issues that would have gotten him uh, kicked out of office. And so he decided to resign in front of all that. Wow. So typically, what would it take for somebody to be impeached? I, I mean, I, I thought it was a pretty hard process. It is. And it starts at the House uh, it, in Alabama. And I, I did a little research on this because I wanted to make sure because that state to state, it would differ. But usually it starts in the House. And that's how it is with the federal government as well. Uh, oftentimes in a committee. And then uh, they decide whether it's worth going forward to the whole house, and then the whole house would take a vote. If the whole house uh, decides to uh, 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 file for impeachment, then the Senate ultimately decides, and that's how it is in the federal government as well. So they're, they're, you know, it's a slow process in some respects. And I think maybe the governor's advisors told him uh, that you know you're going to put the state through many weeks then of having to hear more about uh, these issues, and you're better off just resigning. And I think that was the absolute right call uh, was for him to resign. And so the lieutenant governor has taken his position now. That is correct. She's the second uh, woman to be the governor of, uh, of Alabama. And that's not an interim thing, like she's going to take over for the remainder of his term? or That is correct. And then she'll have to uh, be elected after that. And, when, for example, when Richard Nixon uh, resigned as the president, Gerald Ford took over as president. Gerald Ford had stepped in as vice president when Spiro Agnew resigned before that. So that's, you know, we, we do have plans for succession, and that, that's exactly what happens is then, uh, you know, if, if, for example, the president's impeached, the vice president becomes the next president. All right. Well, uh, that's it for the legal news. And I knew there's a lot to get to. I just want to get your thoughts on those things, Professor Gershon. And now uh, we're going to uh, go ahead and, and reinvite into the show attorney Bradley Clinton, who we're going to be talking with today about data privacy and data security. Uh, attorney Clinton, could you tell us a little bit about how you got into this area of law? Sure. <clears throat> about, <clears throat> pardon me, about five years ago, the uh, the legal Issues with respect to data privacy and security really came into came into uh, into focus because the amount of data that was being generated in, in in the United States and the world was multiplying exponentially, and at the same time, the <clears throat> the the cyber criminals and the and the bad actors and the people who are trying to get to that information for various reasons that those numbers were also growing. Particularly, there's a, a quite a bit of activity in uh, in some Eastern European countries where they they're the what they call the underground internet. It's a part part of the internet that you and I can't access, where this information is actually traded. Uh, and so, uh, the European Union has acted years ago and enacted some strong privacy, uh, data privacy and security rules. Uh, the United States has been much slower to to act. And so uh, I, I became interested in, in the subject area and started to study uh, the law in, in, the, in the United States and also the, the European Union. And I decided that I wanted to uh, – there's an international organization called the International Association of Privacy Professionals, and they offer a certification. And uh, you, you basically take courses, and, and it's just like a, a law school course and exams and get certified and and so that's what i did and started to develop a practice in that area and to advise clients uh, particularly with respect to medical information which has been protected in the united states for some time by 
HIPAA as uh, that's probably the most well-known data privacy and security protection law. And so uh, that's really kind of how I got into it, and I developed a little niche practice in that area. So as far as other areas of law, you just mentioned uh, the medical information. Are these other areas of law still developing? Uh, because as you mentioned, so many things are multiplying and the Internet is just growing so fast. Uh, is this an area of law that's constantly developing? Yes. Basically, uh, the way it's worked in the United States until now, the Federal Trade Commission has essentially taken the lead in enforcing uh, data privacy and security laws. And the Federal Trade Commission Act basically uh, gives that entity, that body, uh, so it's a federal agency, the authority to, to police what's called unfair or deceptive trade practices. And so they've taken the position that the failure of an entity to put in what they call reasonable protections or take, take reasonable steps to protect uh, data uh, constitutes an unfair, deceptive trade practice. And so, therefore, they bring enforcement actions against various uh, entities. The most famous one right now is uh, Wyndham Hotels, and uh, Wyndham has been fighting them for quite a while, and uh, and that, that litigation has been going on for, for years. Um, so there's there, the, the FTC has taken the, the role in enforcing that. And then you also have the Civil Rights Division at the Justice Department uh, and, I mean, uh, and, and the solicitor at the Department of Health and Human Services, they've taken a, a role in enforcing HIPAA. But we have, in the United States, it's what, what we call sectoral enforcement. There, it, in the health industry, you have one rule. In the financial services industry, you have one rule. So it's sort of scattered. And there's been a movement in recent, recent years, in the last few years, to come up with some more national standards uh, that govern data across the board so that we don't have these hodgepodge sort of spotty laws that leave huge gaps in various industries that there are no rules really that apply at all. All right. Well, we're going to talk a, a little bit more about data privacy and data security a lot more uh, after the break. If you're listening this morning, you have any questions or comments about how you can make sure your data is secure. If you are a business owner or an employee, do you have any data privacy concerns? We'll talk about the differences between those two. You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. If you have any questions or comments or if you want to talk about uh, the legal news we discussed at the top of the show, 877-672-7464 is the number or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law 
And our guest today is Bradley Clinton, attorney with Clinton Law Firm in Jackson. And we're talking today about data privacy and data security. And you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments about how to keep your data secure or private. 877-672-7464 is the number or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. So, Attorney Clinton, when we use the word data, what all falls under that umbrella? It seems like it's, uh, you know, lots of things uh, can be considered when you say the word data. But what are we exactly talking about? Are we talking about documents and files and pictures? What are we talking about when we say data? That's a great uh, question because, you know, historically we've used the term data in the United States to mean uh, computer data, information that's contained on a computer. And in, in common usage now in, in, the, in the legal arena in this area, data includes a lot of different things, whether and it could be on paper, it could be in a file, it could be on a thumb drive, it could be in a number of different forms. And it basically consists of information. And um, information gathering is a big business now. And so things like your name, your phone number, your home address, your pat email passwords, your credit card numbers, your social security numbers, your health information, you know, your uh, private conversations, online search history, your location, all these things can constitute uh, data. And, and like I said, there are businesses out there who basically conglomerate this data for, for money and sell it. And so uh, it can be any, it could be a piece of paper, it could be a computer file, it could be a picture, it could be a telephone recording, any number of any any number of things. So, with this information gathering thing, um, can people do or not do something uh, to kind of protect themselves from having information constantly gathered about them? Like in in their uh, internet practices, maybe not allowing your location or turning off cookies or something like that. That's a that's a good question, and yes, the, the answer is for individuals. Uh, to protect themselves from the first thing they need to do is make sure that they have a secure internet connection at their home. So many people will have uh, internet networks that do not have firewalls, for example. A firewall is an absolute must. And most routers, most new routers that you buy these days have a firewall, which basically protects intrusions uh, into your network. You also need to have strong passwords. You also need to have software that encrypts data, sensitive data that you transmit back and forth to uh, other people. Another big source of, of problems are, is children's games. That's a, that's a big way that, that criminals gather information and also corporations gather information. Most people don't realize when their children are sitting there on their iPhones playing an app game that that company is gathering information about where that kid is and what game they're playing, and they all, just all kinds of information is being gathered. And if, you, if you've ever downloaded an app, you, you'll see it when you first hit download, it says you have to give permission for them to access like 15 different things. And unless you give permission for, for that, you can't download the app. So everybody just pushes yes without even paying attention to what data you're giving them access to. And yeah, so it's that, really that was going to be my, my next question, if you could 
kind of talk about that line between uh, voluntarily and involuntarily offering information, um, you know, because sometimes you just hit agree to the terms because you want to go ahead and use something. Um, but is there a line between how much you offer um, with prompting and without prompting? Yes, there is actually. I mean, con- the consent, the you know, the term consent is really the the buzzword in the industry these days. The the, the enforcement authorities they really are interested in consent and transparency, meaning uh, you're you're supposed to be able to give meaningful consent, not just kind of like you push a button. You know, if you go onto a computer website and it says, "Do you agree to these terms?" If you started reading those terms. Most lawyers can't understand those terms, much less uh, lay people who have not been trained in the law. And so the enforcement authorities, such as the FTC, have, are really clamping down on uh, businesses and other entities who, who, who are not transparent, who do not make their uh, policies clear so that people can understand what they're uh, agreeing to. And so you really have to be careful what you agree to and... You know, if you're uncertain, if it's not a reputable business or if it's some entity that you're not sure about, you have to be really careful about whether you give them consent to access your data or not. And a lot of times on the Internet, especially, uh, websites will gather your information without your consent, which is completely uh, wrong and illegal, but it's done anyway. And so that that's why uh, a lot of antivirus software programs will warn you if you're going to an, an, a, a site that's not secure, meaning that that site's certificate with, with the international organization that doles out web domains is out of date or it seems invalid. There's something fishy about it. So you have to be real careful about what you're consenting to. And if you're not, if you're not clear and you don't trust the entity that's asking you to consent, then don't do it. Okay, we have a couple calls to get to. John is in Oxford with a question. Good morning to you, John. What do you have for us today? Uh, yeah, I was just wondering, uh, with the recent national uh, legislation uh, talking about how uh, ISPs can sell uh, basically with mass browsing data uh, or the aggregate of that browsing data, uh, what uh, are the ramifications moving forward? And I just kind of wanted to hear uh, the thoughts about uh, this peaceful legislation. Okay, John, thank you for that question. Uh, any thoughts on that, Attorney Clinton? Sure. Uh, I believe what John's referring to is there was there was uh, some rules uh, enacted earlier in, I believe, January of this year, or could have been previous to that, but there was legislation that would repeal the, those rules and allow ISP meaning Internet service providers, to sell the uh, search, um, your search history to other, to businesses, for example, so that, you know, when you are on uh, Google.com and you search for a pair of shoes, uh, they could have sold your search, search history to a company, and that company can identify, okay, they know exactly who you are, how old you are, what your history is, what kind of things you're interested in, and ads will stop, start popping up on the side of your screen. That's what happens when these third parties buy this information. They start to, they build demographic profiles of individuals and groups, 
and that's what, that they start to target you with ads. So is this why. is this all legal? Uh, right now it is, except it goes back to this concept of consent. And I'll give you an example. We have a class action lawsuit going right now in California against uh, a, te- a major telephone company, and what they were doing was <clears throat> placing. Everybody knows what cookies are on computers and that if you want to clean up your cookies, you, you go in there and you delete them. This company was putting a cookie on there called a pervasive cookie, meaning when you went in there and tried to delete it, uh, you couldn't delete it. And so it was constantly gathering your information, doing just what I just said. If you, if you entered a search for a certain pair of shoes, they were set, they were sending that information to it was literally there's literally an auction going on behind the scenes and within milliseconds you're going to start getting ads popping up on the side of your screen and and that was illegal because they did not the individuals had not given consent to that for them to to send that information out but if you look most almost all the time when when that information's being sold somewhere along the way the person clicked some box that that allegedly consented to, to that information being sold. And, Brad, you know, um, it, it's really uh, it, uh, because the federal government removed those rules, uh, 10 states have taken it into their own hands to adopt uh, protection of privacy of the people who live within those states, uh, and those are uh, Washington, Montana, Kansas, Minnesota, uh, Michigan, Illinois, New York, Connecticut, and um, Maryland. And uh, and Massachusetts are the states that have said, well, you know, we now that the the federal rules are more relaxed, we want to try to protect the the users within our state. So I hope that other states may uh, consider that as well, because um, yeah, this is such an important issue. That's a that's a good that's a good point. There 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 are lots of actions taking place at the state level. California, for example, is probably you know ten years ahead of the rest of the country in this area. Uh, Maryland is another state you mentioned. Massachusetts uh, is also leading the leading the charge on this, and I think a lot more states are going to start to act as people um, get sort of fed up with this. Then the question is whether Congress is going to step in and try to Im- implement some national standards of protection. Okay, we have another call to get to. Uh, well, no, we don't. They just dropped off. Okay, so maybe we'll get to them after the break. We're going to take a quick break. This morning, we are joined by Attorney Bradley Clanton with the Clanton Law Firm in Jackson and Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And we're talking about data privacy and data security. If you have any questions or comments about your own uh, dealings on the Internet, do you feel like your data is secure? Do you feel like you have privacy? If you have some concerns about those things and you want to know what your rights are, Call us 877-MPB-RING. We do have some lines open. The number is 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And 
welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Bradley Clanton, attorney with Clanton Law Firm in Jackson. This morning, we're talking about data privacy and data security. If you're listening this morning and you have any concerns about your own data privacy, the things that you do on the Internet, if you're at work, if you're wondering, do you have uh, the right to privacy while you're at work? Give us a call. 877-MPB-RING is the number. 877-672-7464. We do have a couple lines open. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Okay, David is in Lafayette with a question. Good morning to you, David. What do you have for us today? Hi, good morning. I've just tuned in, so if I've missed this, I apologize. Maybe you've already covered this ground. Uh, but the, the gentleman, the previous caller, I just heard the back end of his call. He made a comment about that at some point uh, uh, we we would get set up and look for Congress or look for the legislators for some sort of legal remedy. But this is the same Congress that just gave permission for all our information to be sold, so I don't think we have any protection. To me, the only protection, what I tell my daughters, is the only way you can make sure nobody's going to find whatever you've got in your in your accounts is by is by keeping on a piece of paper locked in a drawer. Uh, mm-hmm. If you guys could comment on the recent the relationship between this conversation and and the Congress uh, making it now legal for Google or whomever else AT and T to sell our our uh, our our uh, our uh, history, our browsing history, I'd sure appreciate hearing uh, what you have to say about that. Okay, David, thank you so much for your call, uh, Professor Clinton. Any thoughts on that? Um, sure. Yeah. Right now, I believe. Uh, the caller is correct that there's not the political will in the Congress to to do anything about this. And there's also a question about well, what do what can be done. And well, at the very least, um, as you point out, they could prohibit uh, the gathering of your search history and the and the sale of it. But there's just not the political will, and it's gonna <clears throat> it's gonna take a political a change in the political wind. So that the people start putting uh, enough people start putting pressure on Congress, or that we have a different Congress. Um, but until then, I think it's I think it's true that you know really you have to kind of protect yourself. And what David may have missed us talking about, which is uh, worth restating, is though there are ten states who have taken their own action to try to protect privacy. So even though the, you know the federal government may have relaxed the rules, the states still have some say in here. So it's also worth talking to the state legislature as well. Although I think we have may have the same problem with our state legislature that we have with the current Congress as well. Now, David also touched on this idea of permanence. Uh, you know, he told his daughter to just write things down on paper. Uh, could you touch on that idea that once you put something on the Internet, that it's no longer private, it's going to be there forever and uh, subject to be picked up or viewed by anybody? I think that I think that's uh, a good point, because. You know, theoretically, the way the the way the law has looked at it up until now is that the Internet is considered a public uh, forum, essentially. And anything you put out there that is not protected in some way is fair game so that, you know, if somebody captures your information, well, the answer, the response is, well, you shouldn't have put it out there to begin with. Well, that's not really it, it's as as technology has developed and as we've come to rely on email and instant messaging and those kinds of forms of communication, that's not really a, a, a reasonable answer. And so that's why it's important for individuals to put some kind of encryption on their data if they're communi- transmitting it over the uh, Internet. That, that You can buy encryption software. It's very inexpensive. 
anything that you send over the internet, but as far as anything you post on a website or uh, post on a, yeah in, in in any public way on the internet, it's fair game right now. And you know, it's funny because people I've heard people say, well, then I you know I'm going to move away from the internet. I'm not going to I'm not going to use online banking or anything like that. But you know, I watch somebody write a check at the grocery store and I'm thinking, well, you know, on that check is all your data. It's your name, address, phone number, your bank account number, routing number of the bank, and so that's that. You know, that's a much easier that target for people. Uh, the U.S. mail, people, you know, steal information out of the mail. So, uh, you know, uh, we have to keep it in context that, in, in a lot of ways, being online is safer than you know sending something uh, the old way through mail or paper. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, we have a few more calls to get to. Jeremy is in Ridgeland with a question. Good morning to you, Jeremy. What do you have for us today? I want to ask, what can you do as a consumer or individual to protect yourself from, like, ad agencies? Say, for instance, if you're online and you start noticing that uh, from old search history, stuff starts popping up saying that, um, hey, you looked at this last week. Maybe you want to buy this. Is there a way, like, for VPNs or anything to kind of, you know, protect yourself from being sold to ad agencies? Well, that's a good uh, question about the, the virtual private network, I believe, is what he's talking about. Attorney Clanton, you have any additional thoughts? Well, I think that's, uh, you know, kind of related to what we talked about a few minutes ago about it currently being legal for these ISPs to gather this your search history and search information and, and give it to other, sell it to other entities. The best way uh, to protect yourself, there are many software programs. Most of the, the uh, well-known security software programs are starting to incorporate components that will block a lot of that information. And so I would take a look at if you don't have a, a really good uh security software program on your computer Mo most of the new ones the current ones um ha current versions have some uh, capabilities to block that sort of thing all right jeremy thank you for your call we appreciate it we'll stay on the phones we're going next to cornish in south haven who has a question good morning to you cornish good morning Quick hey comment yeah go ahead and uh and uh, and a question and uh, my comment is, I don't care what you all say. Uh, my concept of data is the guy who replaced Mr. Spock, okay? The, the guy who replaced what? I didn't hear you. Who replaced Mr. Spock. Oh, okay. You know who that is, right? On Star Trek, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Four sons, I couldn't help it. Um, listen, I uh, wanted to find out, when you go in these days um, and they ask you uh, for your information, uh, you're filling out a form or, or such like non-governmental, non-governmental, and they ask for pieces of information like your social security number and you refuse. Um, and uh, then you're told, uh, well, you can't get service. Is that permissible? Um, this comes up in dealing with your insurance uh, or the uh, doctor that you go to or the, um, uh, the drugstore that you go to pick up something. Um, is, that, uh, is that generally permissible for them to um, deny service uh, when you refuse to provide uh, what you consider to be critical information for you? That's a good um, question, uh, Cornish. Thank you so much for that question. I, too, am afraid of 
releasing my social security number, um, you know, just because of the potential for identity theft. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Attorney Clinton, any thoughts on that? Refusing service when someone uh, does not want to reveal their social security number. Well, there, there, there are very few uh, areas, industries in which that it's even permissible for them to ask for your social security number. And that would be that's typically the healthcare industry and the financial services industry where they're using that to uh, to be sure that you are who you claim that you are. And so uh, but they have some strict obligations as to what they can can or cannot do with that information and uh, in order, and to safeguard it. So as far as in any, you know, if you just go to, to a store, um, I would I would think that would be illegal for them to do that. And you can certainly I would report that to to the to the Federal Trade Commission and to the state attorney general and uh, perhaps other entities. But uh, you certainly don't have to just give it out willy nilly. And they can't just people can't just demand that you give it to them in exchange for services. Again, there's there's limited areas where that's permissible. And again, it's mostly in the financial services and the health care industry. Okay, uh, another call to get to. Andrew is in Diamond Head with a comment. Good morning to you, Andrew. What do you have for us? Uh, yes, I'm a technology professional on the coast, and I just wanted to offer a little bit of uh, counterpoint uh, to remind everyone that <clears throat> companies like Google and Yahoo and Bing are providing us free services. You know, they provide, uh, everyone has free Gmail or a free Yahoo account, and the way they make their money, their number one source of revenue, is advertising. Mm. In order to advertise effectively and sell their ads, they have to collect data. So, um, you know, it's not the only way to browse the Internet. There are other ways to browse the Internet. And I know that everyone is kind of waiting on the political will to generate to cap what they can do. But I think as a society, we need to take a little bit more personal responsibility and say, you know, you get what you pay for. And if what you want is free uh, email access or free document storage and free everything. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, you know, a, um, give and a take 22. If you're going to go ask for protection when what you've been getting is free from a company that needs to make some money. And I think it's, um, you know, all the freedom is built upon personal responsibility and these companies are here to make money. And I'll listen to your comments off, uh, on the radio. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. That's a very legitimate counterpoint. Um, attorney Clinton, any thoughts on that? Yes, I mean, I, I, I think it's a very good point, and I think it goes back to basically the, the first uh, principle that, or one of the first ones that I mentioned earlier was, and that's consent. Uh, as long as you consent to this uh, information being sold, being transmitted, that's, that's one thing. But if you don't, that's a different issue. Now, yeah, I, I understand they make money off of ads, but it's not necessarily these ads that are generated by the, you know, the, the sale of your search history. They sell ad, all kinds of ads that just show up when you do searches that are not related to your search history per se. It could, it's typically, you know, there, there are ads that pop up that they, sell, that they sell that it's just related to what you searched for, not because somebody has conglomerated your search history. So, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a balance there, I think, that's got to be reached. Mm -hmm. um, so can we give um, a definite 
uh, differentiation between data security and data privacy. What's a good way to differentiate those two? I think in the in in the in the legal arena, at least, uh, pr- privacy really is the the question of what do you have a right for other people not to access. You know, is it your social security number? Is it your uh, personal health information? And that really goes to is does has the law provided in some form or fashion protection for that information? Because unless it's unless you're entitled to it, keep it private. Then there's you know, it, there's no reason someone can't access it. For example, something you post on your Facebook page. Well, once you do that, you don't have a right to privacy for, for that information. You just you just put it out in public. Um, but then security goes to really, okay, once you have this information gathered, well, say a business, for example, who uh, they sell outdoor um, equipment and they have a customer list and their phone numbers and their names and so forth and so on, they have an obligation to keep that data secure. And so the, 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 the security issue really is how do you guard the data once it's collected? And the privacy question is, well, what am I entitled to keep private? So if you're on a job and you have personal information on your computer at work, uh, do you have a right to privacy there? Or do your employers have the, the right to just kind of go on your computer and, and check on things? Most courts have held that the employer has the right to go into your computer if it's there if it's their property and you're using it during working hours they have the right to monitor and it, 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 you know the your activity on that computer now whether they have a right to access your private email say you use your Google account on your work computer that's a little more fuzzy uh, question but as far as sort of your internet activity and things like that, it's pretty much like uh, they if they own your desk, you know, you they can look in your desk except for if you have a, a locked drawer or something. I mean, there there's certain limits to it, but generally speaking, they have a uh, an access to what's on your computer. Hmm. All right, we need to take a really quick break. When we get back, we have Frank and Jackson to get to, and we have some time left if you want to give us a call. This morning we're talking about data privacy and data security. If you have any questions or comments or concerns about your own privacy as you search the Internet uh, or if you have questions about how to be more secure as you are on the Internet, give us a call. 877-MPB-RING is the number. We do have a few lines open. 877-672-7464 is the number or email Legal terms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent. 
joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Attorney Bradley Clanton with Clanton Law Firm in Jackson. And this morning we've been talking about data privacy and data security, the differences between the two. Should you expect to have data privacy on somewhere like your job? And uh, we have some calls to get to, um, lots to get to before the show ends. So we're going to go first to Frank in Jackson. Good morning to you, Frank. What do you have for us today? Yes, good morning, good morning. Uh, One of the previous callers made a very good point that if you expect free service, there needs to be a trade-off. So if Yahoo or Google uh, decides that they'll give you free service in exchange for your information, that makes sense. But what has happened with these Internet service providers is that you are paying them. Mm. You are paying for the service, and they are standing with your information, without your permission. I think that's called theft. So that's the difference between Google and, say, AT&T or other Internet service providers. You are actually paying them, so they really have no economic uh, standing to say that in exchange for me giving you a service, I need to get this information without your permission. Okay, Frank, thanks for that comment. Uh, Any additional thoughts on that, Attorney Clinton? Uh, I think I couldn't say it better myself. Hmm. All right. Thanks, Frank. We appreciate your call. A couple more to get to. Steve is in Walls with a comment. Good morning to you, Steve. What do you have for us today? Hi, Steve. You're on the air. Good morning. I just wanted to comment basically about a phone call I get every once in a while, and it's usually a foreign-speaking gentleman wanting or telling me that he's from Microsoft and needing to access my computer because I've got problems. Now, I, I usually consider it a scam, so I play with them for a while, but I just wanted to let uh, find out basically, would Microsoft call me to get into my computer for any other reason other than it might be a scam or somebody trying to access my information? And thank mm-hmm. you for the call. Thank you, uh, Steve. I've never gotten that call, and I've been using Microsoft since I was a, a young girl. It sounds pretty unusual to me. Attorney Clinton, any thoughts? The answer to that question is no. Microsoft would never do that. These are always scams. They do it in a couple of ways. One, by phone call, like the gentleman just mentioned. And secondly, they will send you an email that says that this is from Microsoft and you have a problem with your computer. And in order to get it fixed, you need to call this number. And then when you call that number, they'll say, well, we'll fix it right now for $149. And they kind of sometimes will freeze your computer and hold it hostage, so to speak, until you pay that money. Uh, And so, yeah, these are always scams. So if you get an email like that, just delete it. Don't open don't click on any link, and, and, and let me make a broader point. Don't click on any link in any email from anybody that you don't know um, because you, if, it, if it comes from someone you don't know, chances are when you click on that, you just put malware on your computer or you just got a virus or, or something nefarious is going on. Hey Brad, my wife always tells my daughters, don't go to sites and put information in unless it's got the HTTPS and a lock sign because that's a that's secure right. Yep, that is very true. All right, last call goes to Dave in Pascagoula. Hi, Dave. We have about a minute left. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I found my name, my birthplace, my parents' names, uh, my work history, my current address on the Internet on one page. Uh, That distresses me. What should I do? Hmm. Any thoughts on that, Attorney Clinton? What what type of page was it on? Do 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 you recall? Oh. Well, it was a Google. Uh, it was it was a, a Google click. Um, so just a Google search, and all all that information came up. Y- yeah, uh, right. 
Okay. Once it's in, once it's out there, once, I'm sorry. Once it's out there, it's really hard to to claw it back, so to speak. Uh, this is Europe. This is changing in Europe a little bit, where they're placing an obligation on internet services service providers uh, for they call it, you know, the right to be not uh, right to be unknown, and so they are actually requiring some uh, service providers in Europe to take information down. Whether we'll go to that point in the United States, it's not going to happen soon, but it might eventually. All right, Dave, we appreciate your call, and that's going to wrap us up for today. Attorney Clinton, thank you so much for being on today. Uh, do you have a website thank if you. folks need to reach you? Sure. It's uh, ClantonLawMS.com. All right. Thank you for being on. Professor Gershon, we appreciate you being on as well. If you did not get to call and you'd like to still send something in, you can email us at legalterms at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. Relatively speaking, as a part of the Southern Remedy Series is coming up next with Dr. Susan Buttress right here on MPB Think Radio.